Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Alec Baldwin is an actor known for his roles in 30 Rock, Glenn Gary Gunn Ross, and of course for playing Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live, as well as his philanthropy and political work. What is it going to be like not to play Trump oh, anymore? God, no, please don't say that. Or will you always play no, Trump? I feel like you're a doctor. <laughs> it's like a Woody Allen movie. You have my X-ray up against the screen, you know, and you're like, oh, I got bad news for you, uh, Al. Al, do you have cancer? Well, I think that, um, you know, we did it and we rode that uh, into the ground, uh, but but it was necessary because as much as there's been rounds of people criticizing me for not doing a very specific Trump impersonation. Wait, why? Well, there was a large number of people who watched the show and watched the Plus 7 show online and watched clips and things like that. I mean, SNL is sliced and diced and reserved over the week like any other show, especially those shows that have little segments like that where you can post them online like Fallon and so forth all those comedy shows they can repurpose them online and we've had great success with the numbers for the show very good success and then there's been people who are I'm trying to think of the best word not the kindest word (laughs) word to describe people who are uh, really hate my guts and, and they said they say things like, i don't know who we want to get rid of first alec baldwin or trump okay. but you understand that 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 people are you know if i'm 30 years old let's say i was 30 so that's 1988 i was 30 i'm 62 now and if and if you went back 30 years from there then, then the comedy icons that were, or comedy names, I shouldn't say icons, but the comedy names that were evolving were like, you know, to, to, to people now, I'm like Jerry Lewis to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> you are not that at all. I'm like Sid Caesar. No, but I'm from another generation so far back. I mean, I'm like, I mean, to me, I'm like Bob Hope or something. You know? <laughs> you I'm like a douchebag that they hate and just want to get rid of. Well, for that reason alone, I'm glad. To, just to give them a little gift, I'm glad. So. <laughs> you know what's funny is I think every time I hear a Trump impersonation, I think, oh, that person is impersonating Alec Baldwin doing Trump. But you know something? The cold opening of the show needs to be a brisk, well-paced. It's, it, it's, a, it's a sketch that's five minutes or less. And this is a horrible analogy, a horrible metaphor. But you got to give that horse the stick all the way to the finish line. You cannot take any unearned pauses. You got to move. It's brassy and loud. And Brendan Gleeson comes along to do his Trump thing in the, in the thing with Jeff Daniels, which was fantastic. And I was really very admiring of that. But that's another animal. We, in the cold opening, I mean, decision I made was faster was better. The Trump that I would do, 
talked faster. He was more, you know, kind of monochromatic. I mean, I, I gave Trump the amount of investigation and the amount of research I thought he deserved, which wasn't very much. <laughs> so it just it was something to come off of where I would often say to them, I would give them notes early on in the first season and the second season to inch us, and that is the word, to inch us closer to some writing where I could do a better Trump impersonation. You know, because there's Trump publicly, there's Trump at the podium at a rally, and then there's Trump privately when he's talking to Leslie Stahl and about to walk out of a 60-minute interview. More <laughs> <laughs> kind of hushed and intimate and like he's in the confessional. It's a very quiet thing. And then there's the other one at the, at the rally, you can tell he's very, you know, uh, Sleepy Joe, what do we what can we say? What can we say? It's very sing-songy. Yeah. He's not a good performer. He's actually a dreadful performer. So a lot of what he does is filler that's killing time till he thinks of the next idea. Yeah. So he repeats himself a lot, and he's got a lot of vocalizing he does to, to, to stall and buy time before he comes up with his next mediocre idea. I mean, it's interesting because you have played a lot of powerful characters in one way or another. One of our obsessions during quarantine is my kids and I have watched 30 Rock like 50 times. And that character is an amazing character. I always use the same quote. You know, Roger Daltrey once said, no one writes rock songs like Pete Townsend and no one sings Pete songs like I do. Mm. There is a singer-songwriter battery there, and, 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 and Tina and Robert and all of their staff, I mean, the, the, the whole couple dozen people that were in and out of that, Paul Pell, Volley, Chandra Shaken, and all the people that were writers, Jack Burdett, John B.G., all the people that were working with Tina and Robert over those seven seasons. They're the funniest writers I ever met in my life, and I just had to just say it. You know, I would just turn to Tina and I would go, what was the scene where Carrie Fisher walks out of my office? Oh, yeah. And I turn to Tina when the doors close, and I say, don't ever ask me to speak to a woman that age again. <laughs> <laughs> and all I had to do was just say it. Just don't put anything on it. You know, just say it. And the writing was funny. I mean, and I, I, I don't consider myself to be that funny, but, I, but they wrote a lot of funny stuff, so it was great. You are funny, though. But I know yeah. what you, I, it's relative. She's a genius in that way. She's a genius. Yeah, she is. With that, you played now two kind of really deep uh, conservative people in the role of Trump. And, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think of like a yeah. Thirty Rock. Like yeah. when you you talked about like the Six Sigma training, yeah. like I had had to sit through one of those things. And when that, you did that, it was like <laughs> it shook me to my core how much you embodied that. And but did you learn any interesting personality lessons from like what you had to research on that that role? Well, I think whenever you play a character and you revisit it again and again, it does get into your blood a little bit. So like if you do a movie and you're in and out of those scenes, and when I used to make mostly films and act in films, those experiences were, you know, they could be as short as five or six weeks. They could be 10 or 12 weeks. They could be some monolith that was like 18 weeks or something. We did Cat in the Hat for like five months. <laughs> Because <laughs> Mike Myers was in the chair for like six hours, so we only had to shoot five hours or whatever. So it was a very, very uh, crazy schedule. But my point is, is that when you do a play and you're doing that character again and again and again, and when you do a TV show and you do it for years, the character does tend to inhabit some of your life. So I would be in a restaurant and I would get a little Donaghy going every now and then. Like I'd look at somebody and say, does that glass look clean to you? <laughs> Does that look clean to you? 
you know, I would just, I, would, I just was appalled at any mediocre service or mediocre <laughs> efforts. You know, you, you give it your all or you, you got to get written up on the report. And then, so, you know, when I played that part, yeah, it, it definitely got into my life a little bit. I'm glad you lost the accent, though, from outside Providence. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I think has been really cool about you is you have been really on the right side of things politically. And so has your almost your entire family. Can you explain how you guys, I'm leaving one person out, obviously, I will not bring that up. I don't want to be sensitive, but. No, you can talk, you can talk about him, go right ahead. <laughs> he brought it on himself. <laughs> how did that happen? How did you guys all, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, my dad uh, was a school teacher who had one year of law school. He went to SU Law School. And he was one of these guys where my mother's father, my mother grew up and she didn't have a lot of money. They weren't rich, but they lived very well. And her father was a very successful guy. And both sets of my grandparents, both graduated from SU. And both my parents, my, you know, my parents met at SU and my mother's family is from Syracuse. And so when my dad was going to school for a year, his father-in-law, my mother's father was paying for it, And he kind of got a little freaked out about it. He didn't want to be depending on somebody like that. He, his pride got in the way. So he left after a year and went down to Long Island where he got a job as a teacher in a school district there uh, where he taught his whole life. And he taught uh, what they used to call social studies, you know, history, economics, what have you, uh, contemporary problems was a course he taught, and, and different things like that. And he was a very progressive guy. He was a very, very humanistic, very, you know, he would always say things to me. And I've said this in interviews before. He said to me once when I was a kid, he said, you think if you were black, you would be Martin Luther King and you'd be pursuing the path of nonviolent resistance? And, or would you be more like Eldridge Cleaver and you'd be like throwing some elbows here? And there was a long pause. And my father said, I thought so. You know, that if you were alive today, you know, where we've arrived in our society today, where people are going to have to start to embrace the notion in this country, in this country, that just as they announced in New York uh, uh, probably 10 years ago, they had the census and they said that whites in the five boroughs were the plurality, but no longer the majority. The city of New York was 49% at that time white and 51% people of color and Asian and so forth, Hispanic. And that's what's going to happen in this country. I mean, eventually white privilege and as it's, it's expressed through presidents throughout our life with one exception but names like you know carter and reagan and ford and whitey white white people running the show with the exception of obama you see that that's going to change and and my father was somebody that kind of understood that you know that if we give people equal rights it's going to i don't want to say infiltrate but pervade through every part of our society and that's the change I think we see coming now as more and more people of color, they want a seat at the table of power. They want to call the shots. So what are you working on now? Can you tell us a little bit? I'm doing a TV streaming series for Peacock Streaming that's being produced by Universal called Dr. Death, which this woman, Laura Beal, who's a, a writer in the Dallas area, covered this for, I think she covered it for the local paper. She wrote and produced and was the star, the voice of her own podcast called Dr. Death, an eight-part series about this guy, Christopher Dunch, who is serving a life sentence in prison for all of his botched medical care. He killed two people. He crippled four people. He crippled his best friend. He did a lot of... And uh, jo Joshua Jackson is playing Dunch. He's the lead. And I play a doctor who brings him to justice, so to speak. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash the new abnormal. Do you think you'll do more comedy? Because I find you hilarious. (laughs) No! (laughs) Why? Well, they announced on Monday that we, we picked up this show. We've been developing a show for quite a while. We spent a lot of time. I mean, like this ungodly amount of time. Uh, producing this thing, a sitcom. They just announced that ABC picked up this four-camera sitcom for me and Kelsey Grammer. So Kelsey... Oh, yes! Kelsey and I are going to do a show where we're two old friends who are our nemesis as well. We have a kind of on-again, off-again friendship and we get reunited. And there's even a third character there. There's a third friend. We all meet at some guy's funeral. We all come together at a funeral. And at that funeral, the three of us decide that we need to be back in each other's lives more. And we take it from there. But it's a really, uh, it's Chris Lloyd, who did Mother Family, and who did uh, Frasier with Kelsey. We start shooting that at the end of February in L.A. That is so cool. I'm going to I'm have to walk to L.A., though, because of you know, COVID, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you going to get to L.A.? And also, do you have many dogs and kids? We have a guy we can board the dogs with when we go away. The kids... <laughs> You can board the kids. I want to board the kids. So I wonder if you'll take the kids, too. They fly us out there on a private plane because of the COVID. Yeah. I'm I'm not opposed to flying commercially. It doesn't really bother me. But, you know, what's happened is with the COVID, it's like I I haven't flown at all. And if I did, everything was like someone's going to give me a private plane to keep away from the whole uh, airport thing. It's tough. I don't mind flying commercially. But with my wife and all my kids, we have to try to book the whole first class. (laughs) You have a lot of kids. 
kids. It's a little tough. That's tough. You have, though, been very much politically involved and also on the right side of things. Do you, will you do more of that, do you think? Well, I think that, that for me, it's a question of time because uh, my age, you know, like, like it, it, if you honestly asked me 12 years ago when I turned 50, what I thought I'd be doing now, I thought I would probably be working a lot less and I'd be a niece on a yacht <laughs> and having nice lunches and just fucking off all the time and maybe we work if we have to if we really have to go get some cash and do something and we don't really give a shit about any of that anymore that's you know in the past and that's of course not what happened i met a woman that i fell madly in love with we had five children in seven years it's the most fucked up insane plan i'm 62 years old and i have a three-month-old son <laughs> really cute. Though. Everything is in terms of my availability. But I do think that in this coming year, especially once the vaccine is here and we can move around a little bit more freely, I want to make sure that we. 2020 election was, of course, the most important election in the world ever. We, we always hear people say that, and that, but this one really was. And then number two, the 2022 election is the next most important election because if we don't take down some of these senators that are up for real and these members of the House, we have to give Biden. Who is that? <laughs> is that? That's not mine. Oh, that's not mine either. Was it mine? It may have been one of yours. Mm-hmm. They're coming. They're coming through. They're coming through the door. <laughs> coming to get me. I'm like I'm like Fagin and Oliver Twist. They're coming to get me here in my lair. <laughs> Anyway, so I think that in order to give Biden more resources and to strengthen that whole thing, that's what I'm very keen on is picking a a modest handful of Senate and House races and even local races and putting some energy into that and raising money for that. I mean, I hate the whole campaign finance thing, but, you know, we we certainly contemplated not leaving the country because that's always a tired idea. People say they want to leave the country. The idea of leaving America, uh, oddly enough, is kind of unthinkable to me at once. But taking a break from here, like if Trump had won, we probably would have left for like a year and gone to London or Spain or Italy or somewhere pretty and culturally. And we'd wait for the COVID to, to, to die down a little bit more. And when we thought we could travel freely, we probably would go somewhere else. And we're still contemplating the same idea. We're still thinking that even though uh, uh, Biden and Harris won, we still think it's a great time to get the hell out of here, you know, after the COVID vaccine gets addressed and gets circulated. Uh, you know, maybe the fall of next year, we go away for a while to just, just to have that experience with the kids. because Right, once they get older. This situation, the, the political race and the COVID forcing us to think that way. We were forced to think, where do we go for our kids to live a normal life. And what occurred to us was that, you know, once we started to open up to that idea, it didn't matter who won the race. Like, we really want to get out of here, just not that we want to get out of here, but just somewhere else we want to try for a while and get a taste of while the kids are young, you know what I mean? You have this family that's like very ensconced, or at least was in Long Island, and politics. Do you ever think about like pushing your brother to run for that congressional seat? Well, actually, that that brother, Billy, lives in California, but do you ever think about, like, Baldwin's in office? No, I, I don't. I mean, there was a time when I really was very keen on that, but that, because of the, uh, my kids, you hear that herd of elephants going to the <laughs> um, the, uh, um, uh, That was something that was a huge dream of mine, and I really thought 
my heart was in the right place and doing that for the right reason. Shh. <laughs> 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 really- talking to Molly Zhang fast. Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought that there was something that was a huge dream of mine, but I think with the kids now, uh, I still think about it. I still would like to run for something, but probably I, I don't think I would because my wife doesn't want that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I, I really thought that I would, if I did that, I would be doing it for the right reason. You know, it's like the life I have now, and this sounds like Trump, unfortunately, but the life I have now, I'm very happy with. Yeah. Mm. In order to go into that life where, you know, I, I went to an event I went to the Democratic caucus in Iowa to give a speech. I was the keynote speaker. And I went to Des Moines to give this speech a few years ago. And we went to three different rooms. There was like the gold room, the platinum room, (laughs) diamond room. You know, (laughs) went from a room of like, you know, pigs in a blanket and beers and guys with open collar shirts and more of a working class crowd. And they, you know, they have got food in their mouth when they're talking to you and everybody wants a picture. It's a very kind of retail politics. Then the next room was more of higher donors and white wine and chicken skewers. And then the third room, the diamond room, was no drinks, no food. They wouldn't bother eating at the center. They were all on their way to the country club for dinner right after this event. So, And that was like the high-end donors to this event. And my friend turned to me, the guy that brokered this appearance I had, he said to me, he goes, now, if you ran for office in New York, he goes, this is what you would be doing six nights a week. Oh. Like six nights a week, you're raising money and you're just out there and, it's, and, and you don't have any life. And I, I love my fantasy would be to be appointed the ambassador to Spain or better yet, my wife is the ambassador to Spain. <laughs> and I sit back and she comes home from work and I just go, oh no, you're kidding. And they said that? Oh God, no, that's terrible. And I just sit back and relax and uh, enjoy myself. You know? <laughs> that's great. I, I dreamed about it for a long, long time, but I don't think that that's possible. Right yeah, now. that's interesting, though. I mean, you do have a lot of you can maybe make one of your siblings do it. One of them. Not except for one of them. <laughs> have I missed any really important question that I need to ask you? Well, my dream now, I told my wife, I said, let's sell our house on Long Island. Right. And let's sell our apartment and convert everything to cash. And then go and live in, and we're going to pick 12 cities. <laughs> and we're going to live for a year in each city in the mm. fanciest, most expensive hotel. We'll spend a million dollars a year on room service and tipping people and parking. And we're going to go to like the Ritz Madrid. We're going to go to the Crillon. We're going to go to the, to the Connaught. We're going to go to all of our favorite hotels, uh, Tokyo, Moscow, <laughs> Johanna, you know, Cape Town. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Buenos Aires. We go to these 12 cities. And then when we're done, we turn to the kids and say, we don't have any money left to put you through school. We're broke. <laughs> we have no money left. But what an experience this has been. Hasn't this been a great experience for all of you? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a good plan? It's very Royal Tenenbaums. Bingo. I love that. I yeah, love, I, love I love that. I'm still pushing my wife to do that, but she's resisting. Yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country 
and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm Molly Jongfast, and he's the Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.